785 Magazine is proud to present KSEF Digital Radio, Topeka, Kansas. That's the thing you're listening to right now. And we're celebrating everything local and everything Topeka. Learn more at 785live.com. And thanks for tuning in. Government. We all know it's important to understand, be it state, local or national. But doesn't the thought of it just make you want to, well, drink? If so, you're in the right place. I'm Angel Romero, your politics and pints aficionado, and this is Ballots and Brews, where we'll talk all things local beer while also diving into what in the world is happening at the local, state, and national government and what you can do about it. It's Schoolhouse Rocks meets The Daily Show meets C-SPAN, so let's get this show started. Well, good evening and welcome back to another edition of Ballots and Brews. We are excited to have you with us. As always, we have a, a packed show tonight. So we are going to be talking with City Councilwoman Karen Hiller about the latest and greatest happening at the City Council and get to know her a little bit more as well. Uh, but first, we're going to start like we always do uh, with beer. And so tonight, we are so excited to have our friend Katie with us from the Celtic Fox. Katie, thanks for hanging out with us tonight. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. Well, you know, when you think about government and politics and beer you know Celtic Fox is kind of the perfect way to tie that uh, tie that all together uh, so can you as we get started for folks who might not be aware I would say Celtic Fox has such a cool history can you talk a little bit about the history of Celtic Fox absolutely um, we are a locally owned family uh, Irish pub and restaurant uh, we are owned by the Fox family, which consists of four brothers and their sister and the Finan family. Uh, Pat Finan was the head of the St. Patrick's Day Parade, so we have a real deep connection with all of the Irish festivities downtown. Uh, Mike bought this building um, with the idea of putting lofts in upstairs, which we have, I think there's five to six of them up above us, and then um, put the pub in downstairs, so there is a great place for friends and family to come. We've got a beautiful view of the Capitol from our past patio area um and so it's just a really nice very traditional um irish pub environment to come have a little bit of fun some great food and and enjoy downtown absolutely and if i remember right i think way back in its in its history actually i think washburn law school uh at one point was located above Captain fox is that right that is correct back in like i think around 1905 ish when it was first founded um the washburn law school was upstairs um and then they eventually moved over to washburn university i think around 1918 if i'm correct yeah yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when I when I think about my time in law school, I think you know, there's probably no better place uh, for law school than above a bar. That makes a lot of sense <laughs> in a lot of ways. <laughs> well, and of course, you, know, you mentioned your location uh, near the Capitol. And so as anyone who's been in Topeka for a while knows, uh, you know, from January through May, uh, if you want a good chance to meet a state legislator, uh, stopping by Celtic Fox is, <laughs> is a good bet. So can you talk a little bit kind of about you know, what the legislature means for, for business for you all? Well, it's definitely an influx of business that you don't see, you know, year round necessarily. Um, a lot of private bar- parties, a lot of meetings, a lot of, you know, committees come in. We're, they're real close within walking distance. So we're very convenient for them to come over and grab a quick bite or a dinner if they're working late. So we do have quite a few legislators and senators that kind of cycle through. We've gotten to know some of them pretty well. And so it's kind of neat to be closely involved with them on that aspect. Absolutely. Now, of course, this year with everything going on with the pandemic, have you noticed has that business uh, changed at all a little bit this year? Oh, absolutely. People um, over at the Capitol are a lot more cautious. They don't go out as much. Um, They grab a quick bite and then get back to work. And just in general, traffic's a little bit slower this year, which is, you know, kind of par for the course of what all we're dealing with. Sure, sure. Um, Are there any uh, specials or things going on uh, right now that people should know about? Yeah, we are just kind of trying to figure things out. Um, But one thing that has worked really well for us is we have our taco Thursdays from 3 to 8. We have $1.50 beef tacos, $2 chicken tacos. Um, I have a $2 vegetarian taco, which is something that you kind of don't see quite as often out in the taco world. So it's something real fun. Um, It's been a big success for us. That's awesome. You know, you can come in and eat here. You can get it to go. Um, We can even set it up with like a build your own taco kit. 
oh so that people can put things together the way that they like it. So if you've got some picky eaters in your family, everybody can get something that they like. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and then Fridays we have a fried catfish special um, with a Louisiana fried catfish filet, hush puppy, corn, and french fries. Oh my gosh. And then we're just kind of figuring things out as we go. Right now we've got big batches of chili. Uh, Since it's so cold, everybody (laughs) can gravitate to that too, so... Absolutely. Yeah, that's what one thing I have to say is, of course, I love the drinks at Celtic Fox, but the food, uh, if y'all haven't been uh, for the food, it's delicious. It's some of my favorite bar food uh, in Topeka. So that's really exciting about the Thursday I taught. I'm going to have to try it out now. Most definitely. Awesome. Well, and, you know, of course, as, as we just talked about, you know, folks with, with uh, COVID happening, you know, uh, some folks are, are needing to stay at home or kind of change their, their patterns a little bit. So for folks who may be uh, stuck at home um, and, you know, maybe want to experience a little bit of Celtic Fox, uh, at home, I think you have a, a cocktail that you're going to talk to us about. Yeah, I thought I would just kind of go through the quick steps of making an Irish mule. Awesome. Um, a mule in general, you can do an Irish mule using an Irish whiskey. A Moscow mule would have your choice of vodka. Caribbean mule would have rum. So this is something that anybody can make with their favorite liquor of choice. Um, Traditionally in bars, you'll see that they're served in copper mugs um, just because it's a real good thermal insulator. It gives you a nice, crisp, cold drink, but you can use whatever glass you have available at home. For an Irish mule, you're going to want to pick your favorite Irish whiskey. Um, Jameson's a great one. Um, You're going to need a lime and then a can of ginger beer. We use Gosling ginger beer here. It's a real great price and good flavor. You're going to fill your glass with ice. Add an ounce and a half to two ounces of Irish whiskey, just depending on how strong you like that drink (laughs) to be. Uh, Cut your lime in half. You're going to squeeze half of the lime just directly into the drink. Should be about an ounce of lime juice if you're using like roses or a pre-made. And then you're just going to top it off with your ginger beer. Give it a little stir. Typically want to stir as opposed to shake because of the carbonation that's in the ginger beer. Mm -hmm. And then you can top it with a slice of lime. And if you have a sprig of mint around, it just gives it a real nice aromatic flavor. Awesome. Very cool. How about that? You know, I, I don't think I had any idea that, that mules came in so many varieties. I- <laughs> yeah, the mule kind of refers to the ginger beer and the lime and the copper mug, and then you can pick your liquor of choice. And sometimes if you want to get creative, you can add a splash of cranberry juice just to kind of oh. give it a little bit of flavor. Um, that's really good. So. Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, yeah, there you go, folks. You know, uh, as always, we talk about is for any of you that might be experimenting at home uh, with your cocktails, uh, feel free to, to snap some photos and share with us on social media. We'll look forward to, to seeing your Irish mules uh, at work, at home. Uh, <laughs> Katie, thanks so much for, for stopping by and hanging out with us tonight. Thank you so much, Angel. It has been our pleasure. Absolutely. And, you know, of course, we are looking forward to uh, when things get back to, to semi-normal again so we can all hang out and of course, Celtic Fox always also makes for a good stop whenever you're going to Irish Fest or any other activities going on downtown as well. Well, we are definitely ready to get back to normal. Hopefully this summer we can close the street down and have some live music and a lot of fun. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, well, folks, go ahead and stay tuned. We have one break coming up, and then after that we are going to go through our roundups. So we're going to talk about all the craziness happening at the local, state, and national levels of government. So that'll be right after the break. You're listening to Ballads of Brews here on KSF 785 Live Radio. folks and now tonight is time for our roundup and we are starting like we always do when things happening right here in top city and so of course we had uh, this last tuesday our next meeting for the city council and it was a pretty chock full uh, pretty eventful city council meeting that night the uh, first thing to note was that of course mayor daily isla was actually back um, at that meeting we talked last time that unfortunately the mayor had a, a really tough bout uh, with uh, covid19 uh, recently that actually ended up uh, resulting in about an 11 day uh, hospital stay uh, for the mayor and so it was uh, you know it's good to see her back leading that meeting and everyone really extended their uh, thanks and appreciation um, for seeing her her back uh, with all of her colleagues uh, last week and so of course we continue to, to wish her well on her recovery uh, from that uh, from that experience. 
Uh, first up, of course, the big moment that we had all been waiting for and had been leading up to for, for months and months uh, was finally um, the approval of the Zoom's management agreement. Um, so we've been talking on this show ever since we got started, actually, um, about this uh, this long conversation um, that's been going on between the city and the Topeka Zoo about forming a private-public partnership um, to govern the zoo going forward. And, and so basically this private-public partnership uh, would be, uh, you know, the city still having some responsibility and involvement uh, with the zoo, um, but really the Friends of the Zoo, that non that nonprofit uh, entity that uh, right now supports the zoo, would really transition to covering the day-to-day -day, uh, duties and responsibilities of the zoo and be able to fundraise um, a lot more than they currently do to support the zoo's activities, um, along with a range of other benefits uh, towards uh, being able to uh, to uh, provide better animal care, provide a better guest experience at the zoo, all those kinds of things um, that would benefit from this private-public partnership. And so Tuesday night was the night uh, when the city council um, met one last time with, uh, well, I say one last time, we know that that's not the, the case, but uh, met another time with um, the city attorney staff, as well as representatives from the Topeka Zoo to really talk through uh, that last round of questions and challenges that the council, um, council members had. Um, and so they were actually able to come to an agreement. Um, and so they did a vote to actually approve the new management agreement. And so here's kind of the, the details on this. And Councilman Hiller will actually talk a little bit more about this here in just a few moments. Um, but the agreement does state that by April 3rd, so coming up here pretty soon, uh, this management change will take effect with Friends of the Topeka Zoo uh, moving to uh, assume those day-to-day -day responsibilities for the zoo. Uh, as we uh, as we discussed before, you know, there's a number of details that go into this process. You know, when it comes to the governance of the Topeka Zoo, the Topeka City Council is going to select uh, one of their own uh, council members to serve on the zoo's board. Um, this will be in addition to two city staff members that will also serve on the board in a non-voting capacity, uh, just to establish keep that link um, and liaison um, between the city and the zoo. Uh, the city also, and this was something that was uh, debated for for a little while too. Tuesday's meeting, um, the city is going to kick in some startup cash uh, to help get Friends of the Topeka Zoo kind of started on this partnership. And so there was a lot of negotiation and, and discussion about uh, how much startup money and where that money would come from. Um, and so what they uh, finally settled on um, was the city will provide two and a half million dollars in bond proceeds uh, to the Topeka Zoo for its first for the first seven and a half years of this partnership. So starting April third for the next seven and a half years, the city is going to kick in two and a half million dollars um, in bond proceeds. Um, they will also provide uh, $5.7 million a year until 2035 for capital maintenance. So that's maintenance of the buildings and property and things like that at the zoo. Um, so to the Topeka Zoo, even though there is this transition of, of management, the city of Topeka still owns the, the land that the zoo is on. Um, and so the city still has some responsibilities when it comes to capital maintenance, so, uh, uh, maintenance and upkeep of the grounds and facilities and that sort of thing. And so they're still going to uh, to own to own those responsibilities, um, yeah, I mentioned that there was debate about um, how much money the city would kick in uh, initially, where it would come from. There was during this time um, some discussion, actually led by Councilwoman Hiller, um, on perhaps levying an additional sales tax um, on residents in the city of Topeka to support the zoo. Um, that was an idea that got shut down pretty quick um, by the rest of the of the council, um, who was really hesitant to see a, an additional tax get levied uh, on residents in the community, um, but as I mentioned, they were able to, to come to an agreement um, on that initial startup cash uh, to get the partnership going. And then, of course, for Friends of the Topeka Zoo, it's going to be on them uh, to then fundraise the rest to support those operations, and they have a pretty robust uh, plan in place to be able to uh, to do that. So for those of you that are that always come out to brew at the zoo every summer, uh, I think we're going to be needed more than ever uh, in the future, and I'm okay with assuming that responsibility. Um, so that is exciting to see that culmination of uh, really I say months of discussion at the city council but there's been years uh, that have gone into developing that plan to make that transition um, to this private public partnership and so it is exciting to see a new model um, of governance happening in our in our community kind of an example of the city thinking differently about how to, to do things. 
Uh, we talked last week about the city's 10-year strategic plan, their strategic vision and goals, and Councilwoman Hiller's going to talk more about that here in just a moment, but they did actually approve uh, that 10-year strategic plan um, at the city council's uh, meeting, so I won't steal too much away from Councilwoman Hiller. I'll let her tell, talk to you more about that. Uh, one thing of note, um, and this is a point of personal privilege for myself, as you all know, as uh, the host of this show, I actually, in my full-time job, but I'm not uh, getting to t- talk to you all here on 785 Live Radio. I actually do work for United Way of Greater Topeka, um, and the City Council did at their meeting Tuesday night approve United Way to continue to act as the vendor for management of the City of Topeka's social service grants. Uh, so this is kind of a cool feature of city government that I think not a lot of people know about, um, is that our city government does actually grant out dollars to nonprofit organizations in our community. Uh, so the way it works, the city actually receives uh, federal grant dollars from the Dep- Department of Housing and Urban Development from HUD, um, and those dollars are then dollars that the city can then turn around and grant out to nonprofits in the community. Uh, so there's actually a social services grant committee uh, that's made up of some members of the city council that actually take in and review um, and receive those applications. Um, that committee reviews and then provides their recommendations for funding allocations uh, to the city council for their approval. Um, so this is a process that's been going on for uh, for a few years now, um, and so it's kind of cool. Um, that you know that, that you can see local government actually makes investments in nonprofits in the community uh, because government knows that it can't handle, it can't solve all uh, the challenges in the community by itself. Um, and so, you know, city, city governments routinely have talked about, you know, the need to partner with nonprofits in the community, but to do it in this way directly with cash investment is a pretty cool thing for, for our city to do. Uh, as you can imagine, any grant process like this is, is, uh, is pretty, uh, pretty tough, pretty arduous. Um, there's a lot of work. Uh, toward, uh, that goes into putting out a grant to the community and then receiving those applications, reviewing them, and making sure the process is all done in a fair and equitable way. Um, and so up until this last year, the city had kind of assumed that responsibility themselves. Um, so the city was responsible for developing the request for proposal, the RFP, and sending that out to organizations. Um, they were then responsible for, of course, um, responding to any questions agencies had, taking in the applications, ensuring that they were reviewed and scored appropriately, handling any appeals uh, from those decisions that were made, and then managing the grant process. So once the grants go out to the agencies, the work isn't done, right? Because then the agencies have to report on those grant dollars spent. They might have to make adjustments. There's all kinds of work that happens to manage those grants. And the city had been doing that all on their own um, and then said, you know what, the, the city's kind of at capacity in a lot of ways. Um, and so last year, they decided to actually bid out um, the process of managing um, this whole application process, the social service grant process. And they were looking for uh, a vendor that had experience in grant management that could take this process on. The city would still be investing their dollars, and the, the social services committee would still exist, and they would still be the ones to, to make the allocations of dollars to the city council for them to approve. Um, but they were looking for a vendor to really manage um, the, the process. And so United Way of Greater Topeka was uh, one of the organizations that submitted a bid and uh, was awarded uh, that bid. And so uh, we have, for the last year at United Way, um, been the ones that have um, really worked to, to get that RP out to the community, to take those applications in, to oversee that scoring process and facilitate that process. And so we've been really proud to be able to, to do that work. And so at City Council meeting on Tuesday, um, there was a, a, a motion on the, on the table, uh, or an issue on the table there. Um, to really extend um, that, that relationship with United Way for another year. Um, and the city council did agree to do so. Um, so the city um, said lots of nice things about United Way, which is, of course, always always appreciated and, and, and talked and emphasized our commitment that we have to, to customer service and, and how pleased they were uh, with that. And so they did um, vote to maintain United Way as a vendor for those social service grants. Um, so just a pretty, uh, a pretty exciting moment for, for our uh, folks over at United Way. So just something I had to, had to give us a shout out there. Um, the city also followed up on something we talked about last week, which was um, the 12th Street Improvement Project. Um, we talked you know, last week that the uh, city council heard a presentation um, about uh, some additional dollars that were going to be needed for that project. And so, of course, there was uh, $15 million that was allocated to, for that project for street repairs. Um, but in uh, prepping for that project, it was determined, as we talked about last time, that you had some really old uh, 
infrastructure in those roads. Um, we're talking like Cyrus K. Holiday era, probably uh, pipes and whatnot under those under those roads. And so the city needed uh, an additional one point eight million dollars uh, to cover that infrastructure improvement work that to go along with the street project. Um, but the council's biggest question was really, uh, where is that money going to come from uh, in a year that's been pretty tough on city budgets? Um, there was really a lot of question about uh, where to, to find that money. And so um, the city was able to come back this week and provide some answers. And so of that $1.8 million, uh, $500,000 is going to come from the uh, countywide half-set sales tax um, fund that's available. Um, and then another $1.3 or $1.3 million uh, will come from federal funds um, that we have available as a city. Um, so that there wouldn't be any need to um, to add you know any kind of additional taxes or to pull from any other areas of the city budget, and so city council members were satisfied with that explanation and then uh, moved to approve that project. So uh, look for some work to be happening here pretty soon. Once if we ever thaw out and don't have snow and ice on the ground, uh, look for some work to be happening um, on 12th Street um, in our community. Uh, so lots of things happening at the city council level. Uh, it's a little bit of a quieter week. Um, for our friends on the county commission. Um, it's, I think I mentioned last week, of course, they are now being, back to meeting in person at the Great Overland Station. Um, they didn't have a ton of things on their uh, agenda on Monday's meeting. Uh, one thing of note for their meeting happening um, uh, today, Thursday, so we're recording this actually prior to when the county commission meets on Thursday, um, but they are actually approving uh, some dollars to be used on PSAs to promote the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, they're specifically targeted at building trust amongst individuals of color, um, which I thought was a pretty, uh, a pretty neat thing, a, good, a wise investment on their part. Um, you know, we know one of the challenges with the COVID-19 vaccine um, has been building that trust with communities of color um, throughout, the, throughout the country. And so that PSA is really going to, to go towards working on, on building that trust uh, with those communities right here in, in Topeka. Uh, one thing you also might have seen too, a kind of important step forward is in our battle against COVID-19 locally, uh, the county health officer, our new county health officer, um, did put out a revised health order uh, on uh, Wednesday, which actually lifted uh, the crowd size requirement uh, or uh, cap that we have right now. So right now we had uh, had a cap of 100 uh, people that were allowed to attend events. That, that uh, crowd size cap has been lifted to 300 now. Um, it also allows bars and restaurants to stay open until midnight. Um, it allows bar seating again, uh, bar stool seating, which is exciting. And of course, karaoke is back. So everyone get excited. So your favorite karaoke bars uh, can, can operate again. Uh, so some things just to note on the county level. Uh, and then we get, of course, to the state. Uh, so, so many things we can always talk about um, in the state legislature. Uh, so this week, we're going to talk all about money. Uh, specifically, we're going to start with taxes. Uh, uh, we've talked on this show before about how much we really don't like property taxes um, in this state, and everyone wants an out from from paying them. Um, and so this week it was actually restaurants' turn um, to uh, to talk to the legislature about property taxes. Uh, as we know, speaking of COVID nineteen from earlier, uh, many restaurants across the state and across the country uh, face restrictions in the wake of COVID nineteen on how they could operate, and these restrictions, of course, inevitably uh, cut into the revenue for many businesses. Um, so a bill has been proposed um, that would essentially order um, counties who put restrictions on businesses uh, to reimburse those businesses 100% of their property tax bill uh, for a proportionate amount of the business that they lost. Um, so it's an interesting bill. Um, it's it's likely that this bill, in its current form, probably won't be the one that makes it to the floor. It's it's likely being used as kind of a conversation starter to open the door to other discussions about how to compensate businesses that were hurt by these restrictions. But there is a real appetite out there. Uh, huh. Appetite. Talking about restaurants, it's made a little pun there. Uh, there is a, a real appetite for, for wanting to do something uh, to compensate uh, uh, businesses that were impacted um, by COVID-19. So this is likely the start of uh, some of those conversations. Uh, the Kansas, for their part, the Kansas Restaurant and Hospitality Association did estimate that Kansas lost about $325 million in revenue um, by being closed for, uh, for just one month, uh, by having restrictions closing restaurants for just one month. 
Um, on the other hand, the Kansas Association of Counties, uh, when they talked about this uh, this House bill proposal, um, you know, talked about it being unfair for counties. You know, they said when you look at states like South Dakota, for instance, which didn't impose any restrictions on, uh, on businesses uh, and restaurants, there were actually more losses among restaurants in South Dakota than some of our restaurants faced here in Kansas. Um, so there's a lot of debate. You know, while we all know that restaurants have been impacted by COVID-19, you know, there's still debate about you know the the extent of, of the impact um, and then as a result then you know what should the extent look like of the remedy for for that impact so there's still going to be lots more discussions uh, left to come and while we're talking about taxes of course we need to talk about the humdinger of a tax bill that the senate uh drummed up this week so the kansas senate has been working on a tax reform package that has quickly become quite the uh, christmas tree of tax late uh, related legislation uh, for the kansas senate um, this bill really started off as just your simple run-of-the-mill $175 million tax reform package. Uh, but then came a $215 million addition for a state income tax exemption on retirement benefits. Uh, and then there was around $80 million that was added for expansion of the standard deduction uh, for uh, state income taxes. And before you knew it, we ended up with now a $450 million uh, tax bill. So yes, nearly half a billion dollars in this tax package. And that's on the conservative side. Uh, the Department of Revenue estimates this package could get up to almost uh, $600 million. Uh, and you know, I, I mentioned this kind of became a Christmas tree earlier. It's totally a bipartisan Christmas tree. Uh, Governor Kelly uh, and Senate Democrats are actually the ones who propose uh, the expansion of the state's uh, standard deduction. Um, so that expansion, uh, just to let you know what that will look like. Uh, so right now, the standard deductions you can take on your state taxes are $3,000 for individuals and $7,500 for people filing jointly. Um, this, uh, th this legislation would expand the deduction to $3,600 for individuals and $9,000 for uh, married filing jointly in 2021, and in 2022, ups it to $4,050 for uh, individual and $10,125 for uh, married filing jointly. So there you go. If you're looking to lock it down with anybody, 2022 is your year, y'all. That's when that that's when that deduction reaches its its maximum there. Um, but here's the kicker. Uh, Governor Kelly and Senate Democrats actually had a plan to pay for all this um, because, of course, we're, we're talking, you know, about um, a, a huge chunk of money here. And so the governor uh, and Democrats actually proposed covering um, this increase in the, uh, in the deduction by taxing, uh, quote, digital products. Um, and so uh, those are things like uh, video streaming services, uh, things like Netflix, for instance, Hulu, those kinds of things. Um, so, you know, theoretically under this plan, your, your Netflix and chilling could also be helping the state general fund. Uh, the Senate GOP, however, um, shot down this revenue-generating part of the plan pretty quickly, uh, which now leaves us in an interesting place. Um, we, we now have a, a pretty ginormous tax relief bill that sounds really great um, and has bipartisan support um, from, from both sides of the aisle, uh, but there's not necessarily a plan to pay for it. And, oh wait, what's that? What's that sound? I think what you might hear is a time machine that's taking us back to 2012, um, as some legislators reflected, and this was going in a, a really good article in the Kansas Reflector, uh, about uh, an eerie sense of deja vu when considering this tax bill. Um, you know, thinking back to 2012, back in Oct 12, when Governor Brownback uh, first proposed a similarly large uh, Large tax bill that was uh, designed as part of his slow march to zero income tax. Uh, if you can think back to those to those uh, days back in 2012, um, and as many will recall, that slow march turned into a death march for state revenue um, as budgets were slashed um, in order to accommodate uh, the law. The these uh, these tax cuts uh, with no that had no other plans to compensate for their uh, for their revenue. Um, so there's a lot of fear and trepidation amongst uh, legislators who remember. 
remember uh, those dark days in 2012 and afterwards um, when we really cut a lot of uh, state agencies and state services to the bone um, in order to be able to try and afford uh, these these tax cuts. Uh, and then, of course, the state saw huge drops in revenue uh, as a result. And so there's a lot of uh, there's a, a lot of deja vu happening uh, right now. And just to be clear, again, there are a lot of great things in this bill, especially during this time of COVID when getting extra dollars in the people's pockets is absolutely a good thing. Uh, but someone has to someone has to pay for that. That money just can't disappear out of nowhere. Um, and so that's that's the rub right now is figuring out how we're actually going to be able to to pay for all of that. Um, and then finally, as many of you have likely heard before, Kansas, like so many times before, is winning a competition that no one wants to win, uh, which is being one of a handful of states that have not expanded Medicaid coverage uh, for struggling Kansans. Uh, so this, these, this is particularly those Kansans who are working and are earning some money, uh, but still fall um, below the federal poverty level. Uh, for a, a host of reasons, many of which are hard to process, Kansas has decided against covering this population with Medicaid coverage, which includes around 150,000 Kansans. Um, so right now, those are 150,000 Kansans that have no health insurance coverage um, because of the fact that they are working and so they are making some income, um, so that makes them ineligible for some uh, uh, benefits that are out there. Um, however, these are still folks that fall below the poverty line, and so these are, are folks that fall into this really tough, uh, tough category. Um, I mentioned the Kansas Reflector earlier. They have a really good article out that really kind of runs through the whole background of, of kind of how Medicaid works and how we got to um, where we're at today. Um, but suffice it to say, there have been many groups advocating for Kansas to expand Medicaid coverage uh, to this population. And now Congress is actually getting on the in on the act. Uh, we talked last time about uh, President Biden's $1.9 trillion aid package that he's working to get passed. Um, and now House Democrats have added an incentive in that bill to get states like Kansas to expand Medicaid coverage. Uh, under this package, Kansas could actually receive $330 million if we agree to expand Medicaid. Uh, so that provision is actually written in there specifically for states like Kansas that have not expanded Medicaid. Uh, so states like Kansas and other holdout states, the other 11 or so states out there would actually receive more money uh, and reimbursements from the federal government for patients that we're already covering under Medicaid if we agree to expand Medicaid coverage in our state. Uh, I should note this is in addition to the estimated $7.3 billion that the state is right now leaving on the table um, over a decade by not expanding uh, Medicaid coverage. And I'm just saying, for a state that just put out a $450 million tax bill with no real plan to pay for it, it, this might be worth a look-see. Just, just saying. Um, and so with that, folks, so that's that's a lot right there. And so we are going to leave national stuff to talk about uh, next time. But if you haven't heard, uh, there's a little trial going on in the, the Senate right now, speaking of deja vu. Um, and so we'll talk about that uh, next time in next week's roundup. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and, and pause it right there. So, folks, we've got a break coming up. And then after that, we have City Councilwoman Karen Hiller on tonight's show. So we're excited to, to to chat with her about all the great things happening in the city um, and get to know her a little bit more. So stay tuned after the break. You're listening to Ballads and Brews right here on KSAT 75 Live Radio. Welcome back, folks. We are so excited tonight uh, for our next guest. It's always great when we have members of the city council with us. And so tonight we are so excited to have District 1 uh, City Council member Karen Hiller with us tonight. Karen, thanks for hanging out with us. Hey, it's fun to be here, Angel. Absolutely. Well, you know, for those who, who may not uh, be familiar with you, Karen, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? I have been on the city council since 2009 representing District 1, which is the representing downtown then and all the close-in neighborhoods to downtown. I've been involved in, I think, every committee that we have. <laughs> represent 10 neighborhoods and most of the historic properties and districts in town as well. Absolutely. And, of course, downtown. So um, I'd be popping ahead a little bit to a question that you had, but it's like a city within a city. Sure. Really. Plus, it's, it's been an exciting 10 years to or 12 years now to be on the council because we were really pretty much dead in the water um, in 2009 and yeah. facing a downturn. Yeah. <laughs> and um, when you look at 
at what's happened with the city, it, it's it's really been an exciting time to, uh, and a and, and a productive time to be to be part of the council. And so I I love community and love people and um, it's uh, and love problem solving and challenges. So it, it people ask me so. Do you still like being on the council? <laughs> and my stock answer is usually. Right, <laughs> because right. for the most part, it's it's stuff I love, and but there are challenges like there are with anything else. Meanwhile, I've lived here um, in my house for over 40 years, close to Penwell Gable Funeral Home in the library, right in the center of the city. Yeah. I raised three boys here who went to Loman Hill and Robinson and Topeka High and and it turned out fine for all of their experiences in life. And so I'm a proud mom and grandma, um, love home and community and happy to be here with you this morning. Absolutely. Well, and, and you know, you talked about you picked a really interesting time to run for uh, city council yeah, at a, a really kind of crucial point for our community. Yeah, what really motivated you to want to run for the city council? Well, um, as I said, I really like people. I like community. I like problem solving. I like challenges in my, in my adult life. I, I went to, <clears throat> I came here straight out of college and um, spent my career at housing and credit counseling Inc. As well yeah. as I lived in the Tennessee town neighborhood and, and was involved in then helping people to help themselves prevent and solve issues and achieve sure. goals. Um, and did that in the neighborhood with experience all the way back to the very first community development advisory council and back in the 1970s. And I also chaired the central Topeka turnaround team during the years that we got the Washburn Lane Parkway lights in and the Aaron Douglas mural and and started the Aaron Douglas art fair and was involved in saving the Buchanan school, Buchanan school and turning it into a, a community building for nonprofits. And so, I had a lot of experience along that way. And when I retired at the end of 2007, took a a year off, which they always tell you, you should do. (laughs) And, and district one opened up and just sort of the stars aligned. And it was like, you know, this is, this is your next step. I, I, I realized that I could take the skills and experience I had with strategic planning and budgeting and management and community and, and put them to work and, what I forgot about was, of course, again, I ran a counseling agency, right? Was that when you <laughs> represent a district, especially one like this one, you you, you reopen and fre- refresh those uh, case management, <laughs> <laughs> education and referral skills because you have huge constituent uh, calls and issues as well. And um, it just it just seemed like a fit. Absolutely. And I was glad to be at a point where I could do it. Uh, this is supposed to be a very, very part-time job. <laughs> but as any any of us will tell you, but particularly with this district, um, you can easily work at it full time and and be needed in all those areas. So absolutely. Well, it sounds like this was a very a very logical next step uh, in your life for sure. It was. It was. <laughs> well, very good. Well, you know, let, let's talk about some of the issues. Yeah, we were talking earlier. The the city council's been busy lately, and so of course last night. Um, you all met and there's been a, a lot of conversation uh, about the Topeka Zoo um, that we've been following over uh, the last couple of months. And so, of course, last night was an important step um, in that process. So do you want to talk a little bit about the discussion uh, last night and kind of where the city council ended up on that issue? OK, well, I, I will point out one little highlight from that. At the end of the votes, Brendan uh, Wiley said he was Brendan. He been here? Yeah. He said, you know, it was today. No, it might, it might have been Fred um, Patton from the board. It was Fred who said it was nine years ago today that we began in earnest the discussions about having the zoo separate from the city and become a public private venture. Oh, my gosh. Nine years. So you guys have been talking about it for a couple months. Right. The idea, the idea of the zoo separating, um, you know, semi-separating, you should say, going public-private with the city. The city owns the land that the zoo is on in Gage Park and in perpetuity. So for the zoo to become independent, it would still have to be a partnership in some way with the city. So this has been discussed, again, according to Fred, for nine years flat, 
plus whatever prior discussions. Right. Um, most intensively worked um, worked on for the latest round. You're right. Over the last really about 13 months, but last night after all of that time, the council voted um, with it a very solid majority to approve a public-private partnership agreement for the zoo to go quasi-independent in April of this year. I mean, it's going to happen. Yeah. And and the idea there was that when they looked at, at zoos around the country that were really flourishing with their exhibits and their programming and, and the events and, and the amenities that the zoo had to offer, and therefore the excitement and visitor count at those zoos, both of local people and, and people from all over, economic development, if you will, sure. that those zoos were, 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 were in public-private partnerships with their cities. And that, that then gave them um, the, the partnership with that city. Um, I think they all involve money. So a guarantee of some support. Uh, in our case, that support is as it's pretty solid and very comparable, actually a little bit more than the zoo has been getting sure. in recent history, both in terms of some, uh, an annual operating support grant, as well as a commitment to assist with capital uh, expenses for 15 years so they can really get on their feet and that they can concentrate their effort on raising money, developing the new exhibits. They have a, a very robust um exhibit and and zoo development plan that they that's actively underway now which most people know if they've been around working on yeah. the draft exhibit um the new case garden that they hadn't expected when they started all that um with the idea that 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 quasi-independent status allows them both the time and the freedom and the appeal to donors personal donors and others to to give generously and really as I've been quoted, um, and I meant it all along, so they can fly. Sure, absolutely. Well, yeah, no, that's it's it's been exciting to follow, and I think that for on the public side of things too, I think there are, you know, as you just talked about, going to be some some real uh, benefits to the public um, as well. And, it, and it's you know just me, I think in general to you know look at a different way of doing business, uh, and you know I think good on the city for um, really seriously entertaining that that conversation and working diligently to to get to where we were last night. Yeah, there's a little bit of post uh, post on that in that I am the kind of self-described budget hawk <laughs> of the city. And so there was some of what took some time is, is concern that the way we're going to give them the first shot is, is, a, is we're going to bond some money so that a hundred percent of it is available right away. But just the difference between bonding it for seven years and 15 years is $250,000 mm. cost to the taxpayers. And so um, that we did, the council did again by a, a solid majority um, vote vote in the the annual subsidy as well as the 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 support for capital, but both of those, like I said, are are more than what we've spent before, and we've really run tight and have worked really hard not to increase taxes, and so we're sure. going straight into capital budget. I went ahead and spent some time raising those issues with everybody because sure. I don't want it to be a surprise. Right, absolutely. Um, at, at a capital budget or operating budget time, because by the eighth year, it'll be a million dollars over what we've done now, Not, but even 600,000 next year. Sure. And so uh, we've got to, got to figure out how we're going to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and, you know, speaking of, of long-term things and, you know, kind of looking at that long-term outlook, the council last day also approved um, their long-term uh, strategic goals and vision. Um, and it's something that people may not be um, too familiar with. Can you talk a little bit about uh, kind of what makes up those goals and visions, what people should know? Well, they're not familiar with it because the city has not had a master strategic plan, maybe ever. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> so, I was going to say, it sounded new. <laughs> the, the, so it's new. Uh, the council's really been pushing the city manager to do that. So we began the process actually a year ago with a retreat. The council's choice with their plan was to have a broad vision. Um, and the city manager carried that forward from, from their, uh, their, re their working retreat. Um, and I, the, the, there are five pillars in that plan. One is health, 
wellness, hope, and opportunity. The second is to grow a vibrant, prideful, prosperous, and inclusive community. Every word of that, very intentional. Um, The third is balanced economic development, a.k.a. grow a vibrant economy. The fourth is build public trust through efficient and effective mission-focused government service provision. And the fifth is continual improvement in infrastructure. And so with behind those, there is a description on each one of those. It's just a five-page document, so easy to read if people want to look at it. But behind each of those pillars is some detail with objectives. Um, and it is it was envisioned on a 10-year vision with the idea that, that – um, the city manager clarified again last night to to revisit those um, those pillars as well as the specific action steps described and the goals within, like so many units of affordable housing in so many years and so on, uh, every two years. Um, and and we will be expecting quarterly reports from from the city manager on our progress on each one of those goals and the subordinate objectives. Gotcha. Something that is also, um, and you're familiar with what, um, you know, Heartland Visioning has done in the past. And yeah. The partnership. Some of these goals are goals for our city, but they're not ones that the council itself would do. Oh, um, sure. They had struggled. They'd done a two-year plan a few years ago um, and just needed to build on that. So, for instance, health and wellness are things that other people, other people are doing, and they're actually named in this five-page document. So there's an expectation then that we will connect with them and and make sure we simply support them and the metrics and the work that they're doing, sure. but don't take on everything ourselves. Right. Um, whereas, and for instance, the affordable housing goals. The recently a housing study was done, and there is. Um, We've reactive are hoping to activate the affordable housing trust fund, and so those partners are named there because that's expected to be private money that 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 populates that fund and and then goals to develop more housing that are related to that. So again, there we have identified this 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 document identifies where the city expects to be the lead and where the city expects to be a partner. And I think that that's very uh, cutting edge, uh, really strong, um, and gives us a basis to perhaps model in that way with um, the others in town as well, like the county and the GTP. That's how we've set ours up. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I think that's a great point, you know, that we and we uh, talk about this lots of parts of the community about not, you know, not reinventing the wheel. And so I think that's great to find, you know, what are some things are already happening out there and and how can you partner with them? And so I think that is uh, some smart thinking on behalf of the of the city's part as well. Yeah. And then there are things that are still emerging that I think there's probably just one or two words in here, but just is running with that for a minute. Um, Things like broadband where nobody's in charge, but we know we need it. And right. Absolutely. Well, we've got a committee that's working on that and then uh, with a goal to with a, a process to, to try and make sure we've engaged everybody that ought to be there. And then a, a, a short term goal to say, well, OK, who's, who's going to take charge of this and run with it? So sure. uh, it's complex and we know uh, all these things are complex, but at least uh, for the first time, the city has has, has established a framework to uh, to move forward. We're pretty proud of it. Well, very, very good. Well, that, that is exciting. Uh, and, you know, you know, speaking of, you mentioned um, a housing study not too long ago. And, you know, there's actually um, a recent article that came out that folks um, might have read. There's been lots of discussion, uh, too, of course, at the council about, you know, this concept of equitable investment around the city and, and you know, where the city invests its dollars in. Uh, but I know that's something that the city council takes pretty seriously. And so can you talk just a little bit about kind of you know, how does the city council approach that issue of how to, of how how and where dollars are, are spent in the community and to make sure it's happening in, a, in an equitable way? You know, that is something that the city had. There's many things that the city could do better, right? Sure. Um, But the city has been geographically equitable very intentionally for a long time. And so um, I think people, you can't just look back five years when you're doing projects that are multimillion dollar projects. You really need to to look at, um, well, like, for instance, the whole 10 year um, 
the, the first 10 year city um, street plan, for instance, sure. or how we do big water projects and big sewer projects and big stormwater projects. And when you pull a map and then look at the years on it um, of how the city has done those projects, I've always been really impressed with how geographically equitable the city is. And then the city has also for, um, oh gosh, 40 years or so, not only with the federal money from the community development block grant and so on, but then additionally, the city now, oh, I think 15 years ago, committed an extra over a million dollars a year just to its most at-risk neighborhoods mm. to make intentional reinvestments and has staff committed to that. So obviously there's only so much and it doesn't sure. go to every neighborhood every year. Sure. And actually I, I've been chairing a, a small working group to, to see if we can open up more opportunities and more engagement in each of the neighborhoods every year. But the city has a really strong, uh, again, history of not just a commitment to, but a history of, of geographic um, parity, if you will, as well as um, intentional reinvestment in, in its uh, more challenged neighborhoods. Sure. Do you, do you think sometimes it could be a perception thing? You know, if a project is to happening you know, right in someone's neighborhood, then then perhaps to that individual, maybe it could look like, uh, you know, the city's not investing when maybe it might not be in front of their house or in their particular street, for instance. I think so. And we just have to get over complaining and get and, and get to acting in in some cases. Sure. I think, too. And it, and it, a lesson for me out of that. I mean, I, I'm, I was sad to see the article the other day because I think. You know, one of the speakers was from a neighborhood that's really done a lot of really strong things. Sure. And, um, and and most of the neighborhoods have done some things. And, and I think that we we're at a point particularly where we need to constantly remind ourselves that what we need to talk about is what we have accomplished and what we're appreciative of. Um, because what what those neighborhoods want the most is for people to come live there. Sure. Right? So you don't want to be talking about what's wrong. You want to be talking about what good things are happening. <laughs> so that's, that's my position, and I'm sticking to it on those. <laughs> I've seen it happen. You know, they've, they've worked hard, many of them. Sure. And they can look across the street or across town and go, well, why don't I have that? Sure. But it, it, we just have to keep on working together and, and work on that parity. But we have to we have to talk about what's good or or we're shooting ourselves in the foot. <laughs> sure, for sure. Well, and, and speaking of what's good, so I think you've got a couple of other projects that you're working on as well, like Topeka United as well. Those, if you want to share some information about that. I do. I have been involved with people from all across the community that are, that are passionate about um, acknowledging and celebrating the diversity that we have and working to advance uh, inclusion, equity, opportunity, welcome, with a goal of, of, um, of inclusive prosperity for everyone in the community. And that the group that I'm working with is called Topeka United, a movement, and it spun off out of the 65th anniversary of Brown v. Board celebrations last year. Sure. They have an initiative that is open right now for people to um, submit that they'd like to participate in. It's called Mosaic Partner Pairs. Okay. And Mosaic Partner Pairs is an is initiative where um, there will be 60 pairs of people who, ha um, who are different on the outside, uh, but are paired with someone who has similarities to them on the inside to have an immersive nine-month experience. Oh, wow of opening themselves up and really deeply and intimately getting to know this other party in an, in a structured way, you know, where everyone has agreed it's a safe environment. We're going to have uncomfortable conversations about difficult topics, but we're going to learn and explore. And at the end of that time, then, um, have a really close friendship, knowledge, intimate knowledge and friendship with someone who, who again, is not like us, um, which opens up the door to, 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 their, to their network and their world, and likewise to ours. 
so that we learn more ourselves as well as learn more about ourselves and, and shared. Um, and that was kind of a long way to explain that, but no, it's exciting. We are onboarding right now. We have a leadership advisory group that's been um, of some incredible, 15 incredible people from the community. We are at the well down the line in recruiting people to be facilitator coaches. Sure. Um, these are people that have some experience in working with group dynamics and facilitating that are passionate about this mission. And the way it will roll out is it will be between April and December of this year. There will be a, an all-participant all onboarding session in, in, in early April um, and, a, and a closing session in December. In between each month, there will be a small group session, just one small group session each month with um, groups of 10 partner pairs meeting together in a facilitated process. And then each pair meets twice a month on their own at a time okay. and place of their own choosing, again, with, with a structured goal um, of, of exchange in that meeting. And then there's just, they're checking signals through, through that whole year. Yeah, what they have learned in other communities is that people who have, um, we're working with some people that have done this in other cities, and they've learned that those people have close relationships 25 years later. Oh, wow. And they build social capital with one another and with each other's networks. People have, have gotten then engaged in community projects together with schools or kids or community. Um, they now have networks for hiring, for board recruitment, for community activities and events. Uh, it just grows and grows. In a way, like Leadership Topeka has sure. done, but this is toward inclusion and equity and opportunity in the community. Very so cool. Um, there's, a, there's a website, TopekaUnited.org. People can plug in there and go to the Mosaic page and learn more about, uh, well, they can learn about Topeka United on there as well as the Mosaic Partner Peers opportunity and even submit names to uh, being included as partners. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah, we will definitely, for those listening out there, we'll make sure to have that link on our uh, Facebook page as well so that people can uh, find out more information about that. But how cool uh, to be able to build some of those connections and really deep relationships in, in our community. That is way cool. There's also just a little little current event that happened two days ago that's related to those kinds of things in our community. Again, I mentioned that um, the, the Brown v. Board 65th anniversary and the people that did that are have stayed with those issues and we're really working on developing um, tourism and community awareness of the history um, and telling the stories from the past as well as moving the agenda into the future. And two days ago, Congressman Clyburn from South Carolina um, reintroduced on the House side a bill that will, uh, what I call it the five states bill, you know, Topeka, was and Kansas were one of five communities that were paired in the Brown v. Board case. Oh, sure. And that bill will add Somerton, South Carolina to part of the Brown v. Board historic site and also bring the sites in Delaware, Virginia, and Washington, D.C. in as adjuncts to that site. Oh, there, wow. was, a, there was a corresponding bill. Um, introduced in the Senate the same day, and I'm proud to say that Senator Moran for Kansas was one of the sponsors there. So each Good. bill had sponsors from all five states, and it's it's pretty cool. Very cool. Yeah, that is, that is on that. Cool. Awesome. Well, Kenya, before we let you get out of here, of course, we always like to do whatever we have elected officials on a, a fun little lightning round uh, game, if that works for you, about your district. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So let's start with uh, first question is uh, your favorite local restaurant in your district. You know what? I've got close to downtown and, and close in. There are so many fabulous <laughs> restaurants here. And so I try and make the rounds. I sure. love them all. So <laughs> Mexican, Thai, American. Um, let's see. Diner food, upscale <laughs> food. Um you can you can go to the white linen. You can go to the weather room. You can go to, through fuzzy taco. They're <laughs> right. <laughs> right across the street, but they count. Um, so we we just um, it's a great place to eat in District One. 
I was gonna say, I think I think you might win for best uh, restaurant selection in your in your district for sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, favorite outdoor spot to relax in your district? You know what? I I, I live right in the middle of District One, and what I like, and I don't do it often enough, is that I can walk out my door and take a walk um, for a mile or two in any direction, still be in my district. And go through different neighborhoods, go all the way to downtown, go down to Washburn University. Yeah. I'm just pretty lucky. Um, go to the hospitals. I can walk over and visit people at the hospitals, uh, walk to my medical appointments. <laughs> it's, uh, I can get on my bike and go down the new 8th Street corridor and soon the 12th Street corridor. It's, um, it's a pretty good place to just walk out the door. Absolutely. Easy access to a lot of different things, for sure. Um, your favorite attraction or thing to do in your district? Sorry, I had to hang up that phone. <laughs> That's um, all right. Well, I, I think I will pull that right back out. I mean, I've got the library. I've got downtown and the Capitol. I've got historic sites. Um, you can go on the Brown to Brown tour all in my district. I have Monroe School as well as Sumner, um, St. John AME, um, the Capitol. Uh, the Kansas Avenue uh, pocket parks that you can go see. Um, what's emerging this year is more stories uh, that, that the Brown Bee Board Group has started about the bottoms and the developments. Um, the riverfront is developing. So I love it right now. I can go just sit on the rocks and look at the river and be happy. <laughs> but um, things are going to be happening and it's fun to engage the people in the planning of those um, sure. developments as well. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you really did kind of hit the jackpot when it comes to to your district, for sure. I did. <laughs> um, if you had to use one word to describe your district, what would it be? One word. Boy. That's a tough one. Thriving. I'm, I'm going two words. Um, I, first, I had city within a city. That's too long. <laughs> but it's, it's thriving and it's fun. I, I love the... I love the diversity in this um, in this district. It's um, income, race, culture, um, abilities, age, um, professions. It's, it's everything. Again, city within a city, I guess. But um, absolutely. Um, I, what uh, my slogan is: District One, where all the cool people live, and everybody else just wishes they did. <laughs> and it's a great place to live. Absolutely. Um, and then yeah, with that, what is one word you'd use to describe your hope for the future of your district? Thriving. That's a good one. Absolutely. Well, yeah, and I think there's lots, lots of work going on to, to make that happen for sure. There is. Karen, thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight. Thank you, Angel. Yeah. Fun. Absolutely. And for folks listening out there, stay tuned. Um, we will uh, uh, have a, a quick break here. And then after that, we will finish as we always do with our take action moment of the night. So remember, you're listening to Ballads and Brews here on KSF 785 Live Radio. All right, folks. So we are wrapping things up like always tonight with our take action moment of the night. Um, and so tonight it is a quick hit on something called the Community Health Needs Assessment, CHNA. And y'all, this is super, super important for our community. Um, so the Community Health Needs Assessment, just real quick, it is a federal requirement, a requirement of federal law that hospitals, such as Stormont Vale Health, have to conduct a Community Health Needs Assessment every three years. And what this assessment is, is really a comprehensive look at the health of our community and it drives a whole lot of things that happen in our community regarding community health. Um, so from based on the results of a community health needs assessment, a number of organizations and entities in our community are going to sit down and write a community health improvement plan. Um, and it's also going to be used by the hospital to decide how they allocate resources both within the hospital and outside in the community in order to be able to meet those top factors that are impacting the community's health. Um, so it's hugely, hugely important that they hear from all of you out there. This survey is open to any individual in Shawnee County, and in order for the survey to accurately reflect the health of our community, they really need input from every single corner of our community, from every age group, every generation, every segment of our community needs to be represented um, so that our healthcare providers um, and those organizations working on community health know how to best meet, meet, meet the needs of everyone um, in our 
community. And just some some facts for you to think about. You know, when we think about community health, too often we think about you know just things that happen in the hospitals. Um, but if you've heard, if you've ever heard the phrase "social determinants of health," um, that's a phrase that's gotten a lot of play um, lately as more and more people become increasingly aware of what the social determinants are. But what the social determinants of health tell us is that all those things that happen in the hospitals only account for uh, about 20% of your health uh, and the health of our community. Only 20% of that is accounted for by what happens in a hospital or a clinic. Uh, There's another 20% that you can attribute to your genetics. But then, y'all, 60%, 60% of health, health outcomes for individuals and for our community are tied to social and environmental factors. So when you complete this survey, you're going to see lots of questions that ask about things besides just what happens in your hospitals or in the health clinics that you visit. It's going to ask a lot of questions about your experiences in the community because that community work directly drives those social determinants of health, that 60% of health um, that drives uh, those community health outcomes, so much of that is determined by those social environmental factors. So it's incredibly important uh, that Stormont hears from you. Whether you are a patient of Stormont or not, whether you have ever stepped foot um, in Stormont Vale or not, it is incredibly important uh, that your feedback is represented on that community health needs assessment. The assessment is super short um, and super brief to take. It is available via SurveyMonkey. Um, I'm going to go ahead and put the link out on our Ballots and Brews Facebook page. If you also just Google uh, Shawnee County Community Health Needs Assessment, it's like the first one or two things that will come up um, in your Google search history. But it's a really short, really brief, but incredibly, incredibly important um, survey that I urge all of you to take. And also to share that link with your friends, colleagues, family members, etc. throughout Shawnee County so that we can have as many people and as many different types of people represented um, in the feedback from that survey. Um, Because as I mentioned, going forward, those results are going to be used to drive investment in our community, to drive uh, initiatives and programs based on community health. And so we really want that to to target um, those areas where it's needed most. So again, Community Health Needs Assessment for Shawnee County, Google it, um, or go to our Ballots and Brews Facebook page, um, and we'll have the link for it on there. Um, So speaking of health folks, we we are getting to a slightly better place with COVID. You know, those numbers, as you look at our community health dashboard or COVID dashboard each week, they're getting better. Um, we had, you know, we talked about earlier, some restrictions starting to ease a little bit in Shawnee County, um, but let's keep that momentum going. Uh, so as we finish every show, please, please, please stay, health, uh, stay healthy and safe. Wear your mask, maintain your social distancing, wash your hands, do all those things that we're supposed to do. Take care of yourselves, drink some good beer uh, in the process, and we will see you back next Wednesday for Bounce and Brews here at Case. That's Sony Five Live Radio. Right here is where I would say now for a brief word from our sponsors, but I'm just sitting here waiting for you to put words in my mouth. So for advertising opportunities, go to 785live.com.